figure this is the best thing to do. This is the best thing to do. I got plans. I'm going away after. So for me, the reward is maybe worth the stretch. But Elaine takes good care of you. You got plenty put away. You got T-bonds, real estate. If I were you, I would be smart. I would cut loose of this. You know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Fuck them. Let's do it. The following podcast is a Carolina Boys production. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment. I'm your host, Hollywood Wade, along with my co-host. I am the one and only Jaeger Yancey. <laughs> That's right. And together we bring you Crime and Entertainment. And here today, I'm pretty sure this has got to be one of our biggest guests ever. It's Chris Jericho, you should like to say. Ever. Oh, uh, This man has been in countless, countless films and when I say countless films, I'm not just throwing that term out there loosely, folks. I'm talking about box office gold. Okay, so you have no idea who this guest is, correct? You don't have any idea? I have no clue. Who are we talking about? I, I, just, I basically just came here, landed in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're going to go. I'm going to see if you can guess who this is. We're going to do a little a little guessing game here, okay? Now, this guy's been acting in films for a long time. He's got over 240 films to his credit. So he's definitely a known guy. Um, Samuel L. Jackson. No, no, no. We're we're not quite on that level. Oh. I don't don't have Capital One money. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Not me either. So I'm going to name some movies that he was in. And if you think you got it, then you let me know, okay? So Natural Born Killers. uh, Heat. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, ooh, um, okay. Uh, Pearl Harbor. We're crossing decades a little bit here. So, heat. like, everyone I'm thinking of wasn't even active at the same time. Okay. Um, heat. Said heat. Said heat, then, yeah. No, no. Oh, did I? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Should have cut the red one. <laughs> uh, trying to think. Uh, more hints. I need, I need another 200 screen credits. Uh, 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 those should be all you need there pal i mean this this guy's top notch here he's been let me see another one here what we got he was in hustle movie about pete rose i don't know if you've seen that or not i missed that one i'm a big pete rose fan uh black hawk down okay i remember the helicopter blade yeah bringing uh, out the dead get carter play it to the bone enemy of the state he played john Gotti in witness to the mob which witness to the mob was a story 
from the side and point of view of Sammy the Bull Gravano. Okay. All right. All right. I remember that movie. Um, so can I call a friend? Uh, sure. Ring, ring, ring. All right, pal. Today, Hollywood, wait. <laughs> we are interviewing the one and only Tom Sizemore. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Hollywood. That's like, you know, a little bit of an upper echelon name. That is um, definitely. You're pulling my leg. No. You're pulling my leg here. Well, I it's told you he was like big. The, the, oh, not the Tom Sizemore. You mean like Tom Size less, maybe? Tom uh, Size more, baby. Skagnetti Tom on Skagnetti, as he was called in Natural Born Killers. How do you get Tom Sizemore to show up? I got Tom right here in the phone here. I got his text message. I'll send it to you after. So, you know, Tom and I go way back here, at least, you know, three weeks. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. All right. No. Okay. Three weeks. No, I, I reached out to uh, Tom and we put something together here for him to come on the show. Tom's a busy guy. He's still active. He's still active in movies right now. Uh, right. He's actually yeah. running an acting class out there in L.A. So if any people are listening from out there in L.A., uh, look him up. He's actually running an acting class that you can go and take part in. Now, folks, anybody that's running an acting class whose movies have brought in over $2.5 billion, that's with a fucking B, folks billion dollars at the box office you might want to listen to what they got to say that's just my opinion but, you know. yeah yeah i think his credentials kind of speak for themselves yeah that's i mean working working with the the creme de la creme there of hollywood uh you know for years and years just i'd sit here all night you know naming names it's, you remember that game that was popular a while back to six degrees of kevin bacon Absolutely, I remember that game. You could probably do one off Tom Sizemore. That would make sense. (laughs) That's not a stretch at all. No, no, not at all. Um, And me and that man sat down. We had a great talk. Uh, The talk ran long um, because we try to keep things around an hour. And we actually got to the hour mark, and he had a prior engagement, but he didn't want to cut the interview short. So we actually paused it and we had to wait a few weeks to uh, get it back together where his schedule met up with mine. Cause he's on, you know, West coast out in LA, I'm on East coast time. So it's kind of hard getting that time gap to where we could both sit down, but we got it finished and I think you're going to love it today, folks. But before we get into it, we're going to catch up on a few things that's been going on around the world. Uh, matter of fact, our last interview that we did with nurse ratchet, come to find out Jaeger, you know, she said in the interview, that she wasn't going to take the vaccine uh, unless mandated. And even if they mandated it, she wasn't sure if she's going to take it. Well, I got word from Miss Ratchet last week. They mandated the vaccine for healthcare workers at that particular facility where she works. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, what happened? What was their move? She's going to file for something like an, ex- basically like an exemption. Um, I'm not sure the specifics of that or what it entails or how you can qualify for such an exemption. Uh, but if they don't give it to her, then she is going to look elsewhere for employment. Oh, well, sure. I guess the decision has been made. The decision has been made indeed. Uh, what about you? Anything crazy going on around your neck of the woods? I'm over here trying to go through my emails and my old books. And I'm trying to see what point in time Tom Sizemore, can, can hang out with me and my phone. I'm really kind of in awe that you got the Tom Sizemore. 
That's Tom Sizemore. Uh, that that's, is. that's what I'm trying to process over here. That's Jack Skagnetti. The <laughs> <laughs> Tom Sizemore. Like, I'm almost starstruck. <laughs> I, don't I was. Starstruck. I was very starstruck because he oh, is crap. one of my favorite movies. And as we talked about in the interview, the line that he gives Robert De Niro when they understand that the cops are on to him and that they've been watching them and they're, they've fingered the whole crew basically. And Robert De Niro is asking them all, you know, what do you want to do? Do you still want to do the bank? And, you know, Val's like, yeah, the bank's worth the risk. And he asked Tom Sizemore, you know, Hey, what do you want to do? He's like, you've been smart with your money. You know, he's like, I roll with you, Neil, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, it's not that. He's like, you got to answer for you. And he goes, right. you know what? For me, the action is the juice. Fuck it. I'm in. And that line just got you pumped up. I mean, not that I wanted to go rob a bank or anything. It's just uh, that'll get you pumped up for anything. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. But do you think that actors enjoy when interviewers or, or fans of theirs or a slight bit of geeking out? You think some do or some don't? I, I think he got a kick out of it because there was some lines that he said. He was actually in another one of my favorite films, Point Break. And it was an early film of his, and I don't even know if his role was credited, but he was in there. Do you remember the film Point Break? Of course I do. Okay. So the first set of people that Keanu Reeves busted that he thought were the ex-presidents, and it turned mm -hmm. out not to be, where the basically everything just went fucking haywire, and the one kid got shot in the foot, and uh, the other guy right. was about to put his head in the lawnmower. So yep. after <laughs> they got all that straight... And that guy come in who was an undercover cop, that was a very, very young Tom Sizemore. Ah, dog, yeah. <laughs> and I quoted exactly what he said in the interview, and Tom got a kick out of that, that I remembered it line for line. And he's like, all I want to know is smart guys. How are these guys robbing Tarzana City National Bank on August 2nd? We're in Fort fucking Lauderdale, August 2nd. Tell me how that is, huh? <laughs> and Tom got a kick out of that. Uh, so that, it was a fantastic interview. I can't wait for you guys to get into it. Yeager, of all the Tom Sizemore movies that you know of, and I've rattled off a bunch here, what would probably be your favorite Tom Sizemore movie? Well, look, if I'm being honest, I've never thought my favorite Tom Sizemore movie because Tom Sizemore is in about a quarter of the films I've watched. <laughs> but look, he is definitely way up there. Uh, no question. He's just a cool movie. And you know what? I, I looked at Heat not too long ago, and there's action in it, but it's not a ton of action. Some people have it linked as this big action movie. Heat was just kind of cool yeah. overall. Well, it, it had the big cool shootout play. scene, but other than that, it wasn't a whole lot of action. Yeah, it's like how uh, Texas Chainsaw gets the original from 74. It gets called the slasher and this very graphic movie, and it really freaking wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> really hardly no blood in there at all. Yeah, it's just kind of wild how uh, the mind remembers things. So, to answer your question, we will go with Heat. Heat? Uh, yeah. I'm going, I want to say probably Heat for myself, but a damn close second is Natural Born Killers. I mean, that's just a batshit crazy movie. But the last 45, 50 minutes of that movie, especially when they get to the jail, and that's when Tom actually shows up. He's got the longest walk and talk yeah. scene ever with Tommy Lee Jones. And I'm not saying that to be facetious folks. That's a, that's a fact. It's the longest walk and talk scene in movie cinema history. And he's, he's saying how he's from Texas and Tommy Lee Jones goes, well, you don't have an accent. And he's like, I don't want to sound like those assholes from Texas. He said, my mother was from Texas. He's like, I met those other assholes. <laughs> <laughs> 
They laid some track down, put the camera on the rails, and rolled with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. You got Robert Downey Jr. in there. I mean, just a star-studded cast. Uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote that film. I'm sure you knew that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Master Born kills the kill, 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 killers. I haven't checked that one out in a little while. That'd be a nice one to go back and watch. I remember the film school kids were all crazy about that movie because it used so many uh, techniques, so many different cameras oh, to tell God. the story. Yeah, so many yeah. cuts and flashbacks and cartoon-ish parts. Video and, tapes, film, <laughs> animation, yeah. All I want to <laughs> know is how much drugs the people were on that come up with the idea of how to put that movie together. Like Oliver <laughs> Stone, editor, right? Was Oliver Stone done that? Oliver Stone, yeah. So yeah. The editors really had their hands full of cutting all that together and, before digital. And you Oliver, throw it all on the computer now. And Oliver say he was going, he was on cocaine so bad he had to go write Scarface to get off cocaine. Wasn't that what he said? I think he told right, me that. Write a movie about cocaine to get off the cocaine. <laughs> it's like trying to remember something by remembering something else. <laughs> I guess those times, I guess. Hey, it seemed to work. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, there you have it. Let's get right into it here. Let's not hold the people up anymore. With crime and entertainment, sits down with the one and only Tom Sizemore. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment. I am your host, Hollywood Wade. Now, I have here a man that needs no damn introduction at all. He's got over 240 films up under his belt. Just a few of these films, we're talking box off num- box office numbers over $2 billion. That's with a motherfucking B, folks. This is none other than Tom Sizemore. Tom, how you doing, pal? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Wait, how you doing? Man, I'm fantastic. We are glad to have you on the show. We've been trying to put this together for a little bit, and I'm glad we could get it done. Me too. Look, your resume of movies is is second to none i don't really to me I, I know there was a game a while back that was popular it was called like the six degrees of kevin bacon where you'd work with so many people you could name an actor and then within six movies you could relate it back to him that needs to be a six degrees of tom sizemore because you've worked with i mean just the the heavyweights of hollywood man i mean there's not too many people you haven't worked with there's bob de niro val kilmer denzel washington Tom Hanks. I mean, Vin Diesel. The list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, it does. Uh, It's been it's been great, man. It's been great. It's been a great ride. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I'm I still love doing it too. It's second to none for sure. Like we said earlier, but now I guess let's start from the beginning here. Where did you grow up as a youngster? Um, I was born in uh, Detroit City. Um, Um. in a place called Corktown, which is inside Detroit. It's a little enclave down by the original Tiger Stadium. Um, and I, I lived there. And then we moved to the east side of Detroit when I was four into a flat when my grandparents were downstairs and we were upstairs. And it was myself, my, my mom and my dad and my, my brother Aaron. And the family grew from there. Um, I lived in Detroit until I was uh, 17. And um, then I went to college. and. Um, I was in Detroit. I went to I went to Michigan State for a year, and then I went to um, Wayne State University. We had a really great theater program. Mm-hmm. I, I decided I wanted to be an actor when I was in um, when I was in high school, and um, I was lucky. They had a, a, a college there called Wayne State University, which had in the seventies, um, eighties, and 
it's still a strong program. They have one of the better undergraduate acting theater programs in the country. Mm-hmm. So I went to, I went to Wayne and um, I did really well there. And um, I left Detroit when I was 20, 20, just turned 21. And I moved to um, Philadelphia and I went to Temple university and got my master's. Um, back then there was this thing called um, the PATP. Um, the professional actor training programs. And that was Yale, Juilliard, Temple, um, Carnegie Mellon, uh, University of Washington, Seattle, um, a bunch of schools, 12 of them, 12 schools, 12 mm-hmm. of these schools. And it started with um, a guy named Robert Brewstein who used to teach it at Harvard. And he went to Yale and he started this PATP and it was, he was trying to train the new American actor. And a great model of it was like Meryl Streep and William Hurt. They were graduates of one from Juilliard, one from Yale. Meryl went to Yale. Hurt went to Juilliard. And he was trying to train the American actor to be able to do Shakespeare and do kitchen sink drama, what we call, what we see now. You watch Breaking Bad or, you know, any kind of like what we go to the movies to see. That would be your um, kitchen sink drama. And um, simultaneously, he wanted to train, train and they did do this in these schools. Train an actor, the American actor, to be able to do Shakespeare um, to a house of like two thousand. So um, there are real serious programs, and Temple was one of the stronger ones. And uh, from there, I went. I moved to New York. You know, I was in New York at twenty twenty three. Wow. Now I don't want to gloss over this before we get on to your movie career, but you were a hell of an athlete in your day, right? Yeah, I, I was good. I was good. <laughs> I wish I were bigger. Um, um, yeah, I, I was um, I was a really good football player and a, a really good basketball player. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have been if I'd had the if I'd had the talent. I would have liked to have been a pro football player. That was what I want. I really wanted to be that until I was um, fifteen, and it was in my end of my sophomore year, junior year. I realized I wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback, and it was it was tough to handle. because yeah. I really I really thought I was going to be one. I was really good at it, but um when I got to high school and then we started playing schools, um, you know, around Michigan and in Ohio, there was just, there were just guys that were, you know, bigger and, and better than me. And I wasn't going to get any bigger, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And did you, the kids did you these days, I did, I did. I played football in high school and I'm about like you. I was kind of not blessed in the size department. So there was right. kids were a lot, lot bigger than me. And I knew it was for me, it was just fun. There wasn't going to be a career, after that, yeah. um, my son plays youth football right now. And last year he was on the 12 U squad. So they have two age groups per, per section. So you got 11 and 12 year olds on this team. There was a 12 year old kid. I shit you not. That kid was six, five and weighed 240 pounds. For real? Yes. Did and he, he move? Oh yes. Yes. He could move. He got called for so many face mask and penalties when he wasn't trying to, but it's just as soon as he comes up and he goes forward, his arm is level with most kids head. So it was, they would constantly have to call face mask penalties on him, but he didn't mean to, he wasn't doing it. He just, he couldn't help it. He's 12 years old. He's that big. He, well, he was, he turned 13 in December. So our season started in like August. So it ran usually through the end of November. Well, he turned 13 in December. So for the whole year, he was still technically 12 years old. What position does he play? Offensive lineman and defensive end. They kind of, they bounce them both ways at that, uh, at that age groups. But now he's playing for his high school, I think on his, uh, JV team. 
And I'm pretty sure they still have him at lineman, but he'll, he'll probably play lineman, lineman or defensive end, either one. He's a big kid. Is he talented? He is talented. He's got raw talent. He don't even realize how strong he is. We had some of the adults go after him uh, out there. like They would line up and put pads on him. I mean, he was picking up grown men and just slinging them like Rip. nobody's business. Moving them? Yeah, moving them. Like, it was hard for him to practice normal because he had the ability to hurt some of these kids, like legitimately hurt them if he wanted to. So it was hard for him to practice full out to get his full potential because if he'd done it in practice, he could legitimately hurt some of these smaller kids. So it was, you almost had to tell him to tone it down, which in turn, I think hindered his, you know, development as a player. Um, what position does your son play? Uh, tight end. Tight end? Yeah. That's in the pros, man. Yeah. You want to that's the position. Yeah, if he can get a little height on him, man, that's a, that's something good. He he's got the hands, he just ain't got the speed. So that's where he's at. But as long as he can catch that ball and block, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, yeah, if he can block and catch the ball, he can play in the pros. Yeah, yeah, he can. Yeah, will just Seattle. I mean, he has no wheels. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Seattle's tight end. Yeah, for sure. Will Dissel is. Will You don't meet many guys who know Will Dissel is. No. <laughs> No, I, I well, I'm a bit as we talked earlier before we got on. I'm a huge football guy, so I know I know all the tight ends. I know everybody that plays all the positions. I'm a big studier of the game. Um, yeah, me. you know, from college all the way up. I follow a lot of these guys from college, and so when they get there, I'll, I'll tell my son like if he's playing a new Madden game, I'll be like, oh, that guy came from this school and he played this position, and you know, I try to uh-huh. coach him up the right way. <laughs> Did you see Derek coming? Was that? Did you see Derrick Henry's career coming? No, I did not. I didn't either. I did and just based on what other Alabama running backs had done until he got there. Which is nothing. Yeah. I mean, Mark, Mark Ingram, I guess, had a career of longevity, not necessarily a career of, you know, highlights and accolades. But no, I did not see Derrick Henry's career coming at all. Nope. And he's he's the best back in a long time. Yes. I mean, just for that size and can move like he moves, it's just this. I haven't seen anything like it. You might have to go back to, I mean, you might have Earl Campbell days or something along the lines of, man, I, I don't even know if that's, that's probably the best Earl, comparison. Jim Brown. Yeah. I Jim. Mean, yeah. You got to go of, back a minute. That kind of size, speed. <clears throat> you, can't, you can't catch him. No. If he, I think it was, who was that? They was playing, it was the Chiefs. They were playing last week. And I mean, he got, he got down the sideline, and I mean, it was just, it was lights. Nobody could catch him. No. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, I, 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 in high school, um, I was, um, I was an athlete and then, um, I got a girlfriend, my first serious girlfriend when I was a, 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 a in my junior, in, in my sophomore year. And then there was, um, it, we did plays there. We did, we did the, um, the, um, we did two plays. We did this Christmas play and then we did the end of this school year play. And, and um, I sang, I was in the, I was in the chorus in the choir in grade school and then middle school. And then I got out of it. By the time I got to high school, I was just focusing on football. And, um, and she was in the play, but in my, my junior year and um, we were a couple and they did a, they did um, Oklahoma and the guy who played the lead in Oklahoma, I went to see the play. And I, and I said to her, I was a little jealous of the guy. And I, I said, I could out sing that fucking guy. And um, she said, it's, it's, not, it's not as easy as you think, Tom. And I said, Oh, I, I could do that shit, man. His name was Mike. I don't tell his last name, but um, he, he was kind of talented too, you know? So I got into my head that I was going to go out for the play. 
um, the next time you could go for a play. And it was the music man. And I auditioned for it and I, 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 I got, I got the lead and, um, and I, I was, I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. I had no idea that I was going to fall for it. Like I fell for it. Wow. And it was the whole idea of, um, it was just, it just kind of blew my mind, you know, that I, I was this jock guy. And then based on this kind of like comment I made to my girlfriend and her kind of daring me to go out for the play. And, but secretly I kind of harbored, like I could do what this guy did and it looked like a lot of fun, but then it was just this, 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 these pages of, you know, ink on a page, you know, it was this musical. And then to see how far we went in seven weeks, it just kind of blew me away. And it, right. it was really good. And the way we all came together as a, as a, as a, as an ensemble and a group. And it also, it kind of reminded me of, of, of football in a way, you know, you, 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 you go to start playing in August and you start yeah. rehearsing to play and you work on the, your plays. That's your big song and dance numbers. Mm-hmm. And then you, you Friday night, you know, September 2nd and it's opening night or, you know, it's the first game of the season. So there, there was certain things in it, certain aspects of it that reminded me of football that, that I really liked. And, you know, and you become kind of a, a the whole company becomes kind of a, like a football team does its own society. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I like that aspect of it. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, I, I decided, I decided, um, after that play, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see what I, can, I'm going to investigate this, you know? And I was trying to figure out how do you get from Detroit? How do you get in a movie? Yeah. I mean, how, how do you do this? And, um, and it became clear to me that you had, you had to do theater, you know, mm-hmm. I just did this play and it, you had to do straight theater and not, not just musicals and you, <clears throat> and serious, serious actors went to New York or Los Angeles. And, um, um, I was real kind of naive, you know, I thought that Hollywood actors or people that were in movies, I thought they lived in Hollywood or something. They were from Hollywood. Or like, I was just naive. You know, I didn't yeah. know that James Dean was from Indiana <laughs> and I know I was from Detroit and Marlon Brando was from Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought actors were from Hollywood. I, I, I don't know. I, I might've thought they were 35 feet tall. Like they were in the <laughs> movies. I don't know. But, so I thought that, but, um, I was kind of naive. And then I, I realized that this was, anyone could do this. You could come from any place, mm-hmm. you know, just be, you know, a working class middle working class kid from Detroit didn't disqualify me from pursuing this. And, um, and there were places to go study it that weren't necessarily in the middle of Manhattan or, no. or, or Hollywood. You could go study this in other places in this country that were really good. And had, had, with the feeders to these big cities and these serious these serious, um, serious plays and movies. And so, um, I did that, you know, I, 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 I saw what you had to do and I, and I had a lot of fun doing it too. I mean, I, I studied with a lot of great actors and a lot of great teachers and, um, it was just a lot of fun. Man. So when you were doing that, was, were you in New York at the time when you were doing that? Was what? Were you in New York at the time when you were doing that? Were they in New York? Yeah. Um, well, initially I was in, I was in college. Uh-huh. And then when I moved to New York, um, I'd been studying acting for, well, three years in undergrad and three years at graduate school. But I, <clears throat> I immediately got into a class in New York, the Sanford Meisner, you know, you ever Sanford Meisner, mm-hmm. the Sanford Meisner. I, I was in his last class. You had to audition for it. And so, um, and that, that was, um, that was the beginning of my, my, you know, I guess serious, you know, more, you know, I was going to do this for a living. Right. I, I was, I had, um, 
committed to it emotionally and internally. Um, I didn't have a plan. Like I wasn't like um, one of these guys who, okay, I'm going to try to be an actor. I'm going to move to New York City or, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this until I'm 30 or, you know, and if it's not jumping off, if it's not jumping for me, I'm going to go to law school or I'm going to go do something else. I, um, <clears throat> I always thought that if you had a backup plan, that, that you'd do the backup plan. You know, yeah. that you were bound to have, you're bound to want something, want a job or and not get the job, get, get discouraged. And that, that was part of what, part of the, the training was to, to learn how to deal with that. And, um, I, I just, I put all my eggs in that basket and, uh, it, it, um, it went, it, it went well, you know, and I, I, I was able to, to get where I wanted to get to, you know, was there anybody that was in those classes with you that was, you know, kind of up and comer at the time that, you know, made it like yourself or. Well, not in my class, but in, in the, in, in this, on the scene, you know, studying with various teachers, we all knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony LaPaglia, Billy Baldwin, um, and uh, David Duchovny were the three guys that I, I saw and became friends with them. We were young actors in New York city trying to, you know, trying to make it, trying to, trying to, you know, make it, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the term. <laughs> I, and they did. And, um, and I did too. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah. It was, it was pretty clear to me after, um, after I was in New York for a couple of years that, um, like I knew David was going places and I knew Billy, Alec was going places already, but I could tell Billy was going places too. Yeah. And, and Anthony was too. He did this play, he did this off Broadway play called bouncers. And, um, it's people separated themselves pretty quickly there, you know. Yes, yeah. you know, it separates a wheat from it, not chaff, but you separate the wheat from the not so good wheat, I guess. Yeah, you know? determined maybe a bit better for yeah. now. Now, David, obviously, I know people are gonna, you know, relate him with X Files right off the bat, and that was a wonderful series. But you want to know a series of mine that I absolutely love that he did was Californication. I love Californication. One of my favorite shows of all time. <laughs> I'll rewatch that thing all the time, man. That's some funny shit, him and the, well, um, I can't remember the guy's name that was with him, the ball guy. Um, I can't remember his real name. It was Charlie in the show, but I can't yeah, remember yeah. his real name. He, he, they're fucking hilarious, man. Yeah, yeah David's <laughs> terrific, man. He's a terrific actor. He, he, you know, he's great. Um, yeah. So, um, the first movie I got was um. I was um was Blue Steel and Born on the Fourth of July. I got them at the same time. Wow. Um, Oliver Stone was producing Blue Steel, and was directing Born on the Fourth of July. So <clears throat> the same I auditioned for both both movies the same week, and uh, Catherine Bigelow was directing Blue Steel, and Oliver was producing it, and Oliver was directing um, Born on the Fourth of July. And the first movie offer I got was was Born on the Fourth of July. So it was kind of an auspicious beginning, even though it was a small part, you know, it was, um, I had three, three scenes with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, I flew to the Philippines and, um, it just felt like, Hey, I'm doing this. I, I've started doing this and I'm, I'm doing it. And it took off from there. Yeah. Now, that was, that's definitely two good ones to come in to be your first two films. Now, Catherine Bigelow, what she was married to James Cameron or is married or was married. What was that? that- what? Was, was was. Job, yeah. Okay, yeah. So she's she's had a lot of hits up under her belt too, for sure. Hurt Locker. I did. I did. Um. I did three of her movies. I did Blue Steel, Point Break. I did an unbuilt cameo, and then Strange Days. Yeah. Which no one's really. Why? Why did Why did you get an unbuilt cameo in Point Break? Why was that? What? 
Why did you get an unveiled cameo in Point Break? I was always curious. Oh, um, the part, where I was in my career, my agents or CAA didn't think that the part was big enough, but I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to do it. Yeah. So, uh, so I just I wasn't billed. I did an unbuilded cameo in um, um, Will Smith and me and uh, John Voight and um, Enemy of the State. Enemy of the State. Yeah. It's an unbuilt. Yeah. Now, Point Break. I mean, to me, I, I like Point Break, and that kind of set the tone for. I know it's a different world, but set the tone for like the Fast and the Furious, is where you have the undercover guy infiltrating the gang and then kind of, you know, wanting to become a part of the gang as opposed to being a cop. I think that kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of those movies to come. But yeah, I remember that was like probably one of the first movies that I remember seeing you in coming up when I was watching these movies. I had seen Lock Up. You know, earlier on, my dad would rent, you know, all the Stallone movies. But Point Break was probably one of them I first seen you in. You, you were the, what the you were undercover, right? And they busted in the house. And you was pissed because yeah. they busted in the house. I've been working these fuckers for three months. That's <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. You think, Aaron, my wife wants me to stay at the Ramada. Yeah. <laughs> How are they robbing Tarzani City National Bank on August 2nd when they're in Fort fucking Lauderdale August 2nd? <laughs> You know it. I know. I know it by heart. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. That was a good one. Now you, you done Harley Davidson and the Marlboro man. How did you like that film? How did you, how did you, what was your experience like on that? Cause that was, that was, was that kind of more of your, more of a bigger role than you'd had at the time or. Um, hang on a second. You're starting to get your voice. It's, it's getting, I can't hear you right. It's starting to get, it's like it gets, it's breaking up or something. Okay. Is it better now? No. Uh oh. Well, there it goes. Okay. There it goes. Okay. Okay. It's, it's like you got from that mic. I don't know. It just started happening. Okay. I don't know. Maybe just filter yours. Yeah. Maybe something more of that. All right. So. All I did was the Marlboro Man was, I did it because of Mickey. Mickey Rourke. I, mean, I, wanted, I wanted to be, a, I wanted to work with Mickey work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, um, it wasn't the greatest script, but, um, you know, I wanted to work with Mickey work, you know, that, that was why I did it. Yeah. I'd, I'd read the reviews that, you know, it didn't maybe much, get the much better, much better way. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'd read the reviews that it wasn't, you know, I guess met with the best of, uh, reviews for some of the critics, but it's one of those buddy, buddy movies, man. You just want to watch me. I had Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke playing off each other. And I mean, I, enjoy, it's one of those movies where if I'm scrolling through at night and it's on Cinemax or Showtime, I'm going to finish watching it no matter where it's at. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I always enjoyed it. Um, I, well, I'm a big Mickey Rourke fan too, especially a lot of his earlier stuff. You know, I enjoyed a lot of that. And Don Johnson, I mean, well, all you guys, hell. Um, now after that, what did you, was it? Mickey still does great work, man. He just, it's, 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 a, it's a weird world now. Movies, movies are strange. and not like they used to be, you know, but, um, well, even when he got older, the the roles that he took with like the wrestler and stuff like that, like wrestler was a fantastic film. I thought he did excellent in the wrestler. I love that performance. I love that movie. Yeah, he was he was just awesome. And what was the uh, was Sin City? I thought he was great in Sin City. I did too. Yeah, fantastic. So I mean, just you know, he's one of those guys been putting in that work for years. Darren Aronofsky directed the wrestler, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah. He's he's my favorite director right now. Yeah. So my favorite young director, I guess. I mean, 
Now, when did Passenger 57 come along? That was after Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, right? Yep, right after it. It was um, 1991. Uh, yeah, it was like a couple months after that. I, I did I, I did well, Passenger 57 with Wesley. Mm-hmm. Sly Del Vecchio. You like that movie? Sly Del Vecchio. That was your name, right? <laughs> huh? Sly Del Vecchio. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's trying to, Wesley's trying to get him to get in contact with you. And the woman's like, can you spell that? And he's like, D-E-L, Vecchio, Vecchio. I don't know, Vecchio. Sly <laughs> <laughs> Del Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, big, the, big, the big thing was, after that, the, the big movie for me that, really i think my career was got real interesting for me was um natural born killers yeah um, it was like a year after passenger 57 yeah um i knew about the movie because oliver and i got 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 close closer or we got somewhat close on um and became friends on but i'm born on the fourth of july right and um it remained friendly and uh and i was fortunate enough to get in that movie and that was um that was just a great, a, a, a great, uh, a great experience, a great movie. And, um, you know, then I, then the really things opened up for me, you know, and that Dylan Blue Dress, Heat, uh, Saving Private Ryan, all, you know, Black Hawk Down, they all came after that. That was, yeah. kick, kicked it over, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um, one of them I'll, I'll mention briefly before, because I want to talk about Natural Born Killers for a second. Uh, striking Distance that you did with Bruce Willis. Yes. What, what did you did you like that film? Did you like doing that film? Yeah, I I that was one film. I watched it late one night. I remember one night I was up late, and I was young at the time whenever it came out. But I remember trying to figure out who the hell was doing all that. And at the end of it, you know that big. It was a great swing. So I would always watch that one whenever it was coming on. I think it was that, that song he kept playing, the little Red Riding Hood song that they kept yeah. playing at the end of it. I I, I like that movie. Um, I did too. But Natural Born Killers, man, that was another level of a movie, especially for me, because I was still, like I said, I was pretty young when that one come out, too. But that was a Quentin Tarantino script, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, did he sell that to Oliver? Is that, did he sell that script to Oliver? Is that how that worked? Or No, he sold it to Don Murphy and Jane Hampshire, the producers. He, he, sold, he sold them True Romance and yes. Killers. And he kept Reservoir Dogs. He hadn't written Pulp Fiction yet. Right. <clears throat> he was still working at the at the video store then, and he kept Reservoir Dogs, and he did that with um, I forget his name. Um, it was Harvey, but the producer. But anyway, yeah, that that was the uh, the first the first the first like five or six scripts Quentin wrote. Natural Born Killers was one of them, and um, Don and Murphy and Jane took it to Oliver, and, and Oliver decided to direct it. Yeah, you can tell that his fingerprints are, are on that for sure. Was Scagnetti the only role that you put in for for that movie? Did you you know put in for anything else, or was that kind of what they had you in mind for? Um, I wanted to play Mickey, but it wasn't going to happen. But um, yeah, I was um for both of our dogs. I was it was me or Steve Buscemi for Mister um Mister Pink. Mm-hmm. I read like. 11 to 15 times for Quentin and uh, for natural born killers. Oliver had me in mind for, um, for Skagnetti from the jump. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you you killed that Roland Skagnet. I watched. Matter of fact, earlier today I was watching, and I don't know if it still holds up. But is that like the longest walk and talk scene? in movie history? Yeah, with you and Tommy Lee Jones, the longest walk and talk in movie history. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some pretty good stuff, man. That was, I mean, that was even at the time a little bit out of Tommy's, uh, I guess, wheelhouse of what he was doing, the type of characters he was playing at that time. But all you guys just fucking nailed it. I mean, even Juliette Lewis, you know, I go from seeing her on Christmas vacation to fucking Mallory Knox. I mean, that was a hell of a difference. And then Woody, you know, I'm used yeah. to seeing him playing in White Men Can't Jump, playing basketball with Wesley to you know, over just killing up any and everybody. I mean, that was a fantastic movie. Was that probably one of your favorite movies you ever done? Yep. It's in the top, it's in the top three or four. Yeah. I mean, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. is in there as well, playing with Wayne Gale. I mean, that was, you know, it all. <laughs> y'all had some, y'all had some top nut shit in there, man. That was some good stuff. And just, I watched that movie recently, not too long ago. Cause it's one of the movies that you can't quite grasp on one sitting. You, at least to me, you kind of got to watch it once or twice and it gets better each time you watch it. You kind of bring, it kind of sinks in more what he was doing with this and what he was doing with that and the point he was trying to make. So that was, that was some awesome stuff. Now you did devil in a blue dress. What was it like working with Denzel? Um, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, that was, um, I don't think about that movie as much as I, I probably should. Um, I don't know why. Um, but we had a lot of fun doing that movie. Denzel is a consummate fucking pro, bro. Yeah. I mean, he's the pro and, um, and Carl Franklin directed it. And, uh, Denzel was, was a movie star, but <clears throat> I remember he got Crimson Tide on that movie and, um, his price went way up when he got Crimson Tide. I was, I was in his trailer sitting with him when he got the call, but he got the, the movie Crimson Tide and he was blown away at how much money they offered him. And um, it was kind of the beginning of his like mature, I guess, superstardom. Yeah. Um, it, it was, he, he was, um, we had a lot of fun, man. It was, it was, it was, it was a great, great experience. And, um, you know, it was a great script and um, can't really go wrong with that. Hey, can you excuse me one? I got to take a piss. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I've been trying to hold it. <laughs> I can't hold it no more. I can't do it anymore. Go ahead. We can edit it out. <laughs> All right. So, um, that one of blue dress was, um, that was right before heat. And, um, I got Captain heat when we were doing the movie. It was a really, it was a really great time for me. Um, coming off of, um, Dylan blue dress. I knew it was really good. And then, and he was a real, a real serious endeavor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we worked with the weapons. I would gone home. I'd gone home to Michigan for Christmas, and um, the day before Christmas Eve, December twenty third, Michael Mann called my dad's house, and my dad came. <clears throat> what room I was staying in? It was a new house. He'd remarried, <clears throat> and he said Michael Mann's on the phone, and um, I'm like, really? And uh, when we got the phone, I was like, Whoa, when was this? I thought I was. I was kind of nervous, like, what the fuck's he calling me? And he said that um, the schedule changed and that they needed to um, start rehearsing what was going to be the shootout, I mean, the big scene and the robbery and stuff. Right. That we needed to start doing that if we were going to get the, um, Michael thought it, it needed uh, 
six weeks, <clears throat> six to eight weeks, six, 36 days of, um, of well, before we start shooting. Yeah. And we were going to start, we we're going to start the day after Christmas. So I, I'd gone home thinking I was going to be in, in Michigan through the third or fourth. So I had to get a plane and <clears throat> I flew back to LA on Christmas, Christmas um, day night. And uh, the following morning I had to drive out to um up by Magic Mountain over here in, in California. Um, it's where the, um, the the sheriffs, <clears throat> LA sheriffs used to train, um, do, do, do their um, police academy. They weren't there anymore, but they'd been there till just recently. So they had all the, all the kind of shit, you know, houses and shit, you know, enter and stuff. Yeah. So you could, you could train there. So <clears throat> I drove out there and it was, um, it was two trailers. There was one for Michael and there was a trailer for, Bob, Val, and me, and our, our two trainers. <clears throat> and I met that. So I I met Bob. I met Bob. I knew Bob already. I, I did a movie with Bob called Guilty by Suspicion. Something that was in there with the, those that period. <clears throat> and um, I just did one scene though with him in the movie. And um, I knew I met Val, and uh, and then there was two two, two other guys there. And it ended up being two of the most decorated SAS men in history. The Secret Air Service, the Britain's um, CIA, Special Forces kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We were part of it, right? Yeah. Yes, I Yeah. Mick Gould and Steve Mitchell. And um, Mitchell was a, is a living legend still. Yeah. Mick was. Very decorated. I never met him. I never met people like that before. So we met, and they didn't tell us tell us who they were. I mean, Bob knew, Michael knew, but that first week, you know, they told they told that on night who they were when we were training and stuff. And it was um, I remember driving home after the, like the third day, before New Year's, and um, thinking like the Steve Mitchell guy. There's these secret operations, you know, behind enemy lines and shit. He's been putting his life, life, in, life in harm's way since he was like 20, and um, a legendary killer. Yeah. Um, I think I don't want to be quoted. I don't know. Shouldn't say that. But there was an assassination of a world leader, and I'm pretty sure he, he did it. Um, he didn't say he'd done it, but it, it came up in a conversation once. But he'd done all kinds of things, you know. Um, this was a really serious thing Michael was doing to get this kind of to to go solicit this kind of guy to work on a movie and for this guy to agree to do it um, when he was still in the Secret Air Service. Mick was done with his um he'd done his 20. Steve was, you know, I think he'd done his 20 and he was like 46 or something. So that training was real intense. It was real intensive training. You know, we got really good at those weapons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had experience with, with guns before. I mean, as a kid, you know, I, I didn't fuck with guns. Um, my grandfather hunted, hunted pheasant and stuff. And I went once when I was like eight or nine and I, I didn't like it. I didn't like the killing. Just watching them birds fall and shit. It wasn't for me. So um, I didn't know much about guns. And when that was over, I could break down an AK, uh, um, I could break down an um, AR-15 
break it all the way down and put it back together. Um, I could jam bullets, knew how to clear it and keep rolling. And then the tactics they taught us, you know, you only saw a little bit of what they really taught us. I mean, they taught us, we were really good. The three of us were really good. And that, that shootout, I mean, there's a lot of reason that shootout is so great in heat. Um, you know, the way it was put together. I mean, Michael, the sound, I mean, there was a full lows and the, the, the echoes and stuff. But if we hadn't been so proficient, well, we could have done that in our sleep, man. Moving up the street like that. Yeah. And kill shots, only kill shots, um, counting your rounds. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Val does a Val does a magazine change that the Marine Corps, this is true five years ago, had were using that as a using that in their training on magazine changes when Val was you know, and um, they were counting them. He had 20, 20 rounds in it and Val changed it at 19. And on every take, I know that, but you know, in the movie, you could, these, these freaky Marines had counted, it was 19. So they, they used, you know, we were that good at it that they used Val Kilmer's magazine change in that movie is to show young Marines. This is how you, this is how you change a mag- magazine when you're in a firefight. Wow. This is how you do it. Like, just like this. And um, so um, so I was I was driving home and I, I remember I, I didn't get I got excited, but I got kind of nervous, like, wow, this is a big thing, man. And these guys came all the way over here from Great Britain and Ireland to teach us actors how to do this. And, you know, it is just like a cops and robbers movie, you know, it's a, you know, um, but it's about it's about a lot more than that. You know, it's right. about, about masculinity. It's about manhood. Um, it's about a lot of different things, you know. Um, yeah. And I'd read the script, you know, but Michael hadn't really finished the script. And I got the script in that six week period of training and I read the script. And it was the greatest script I ever read in my life to this day. The, the stories he tells in the, in the movie. I mean, if you, you've seen, it's my favorite movie I've ever been in mm-hmm. um, just as a viewer. He tells like all these stories. I mean, all the way down to the, 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 the driver you know his girlfriend and the parole officer and all this shit and um i was just blown away by michael's uh michael mann's writing his ability to spin these stories in his screenplay i'd read some good screenplays at that point i'd read reservoir dogs i'd read pulp fiction i'd read true romance i read natural born killers um i'd ask oliver platoon i'd read platoon um and those were all great screenplays and they were all but he was just like a little notch above it. I thought, you know, just his ability to tell so many human stories and, and keep you interested in these people for so long, you know? Yeah. That's, it's definitely one of my favorite movies. I guess it's hard to put that one in a certain kind of class. I don't know if it would go in action. I don't know. Maybe bank robbery or, or however you want to classify it, but it's, it's damn near in a classifier on its own. It's in a class all its own, really, almost to tell you the truth. Now, was that in any way was that influenced by the Hollywood bank robbers that had the the armor on? That happened after. Okay, okay. That happened in ninety seven. He came out in ninety five. Okay, all right, all right. I had heard somebody say that, and I thought that that happened. After the fact, now maybe maybe they were saying that the heat was an influence on it. I don't know. Influenced them. Yes, influenced them. That might have been what it was. So they found the VHS. This is true. They found the the VHS in one of the dudes' VCR at his house that wow. they killed. 
Wow. There were two of them. Yeah, the, the whole body armor shit, go yeah. in and just hunt for bear. And- now, you've got an iconic line, or to me it's iconic, in that film. And I talk, we talked earlier, I had an interview earlier this year with Lilo Brancato Jr., and he said that was one of his most favorite lines of the movie and really in life. When you're realizing you're being watched by the feds and you're realizing that they're on to you. And so Robert's telling you guys, basically, you know, you got enough squirreled away. You should go away. And you just look at him and you're like, fuck it. You know, for me, the action is the juice I'm in. That is just such an iconic, the way you delivered it, plus the the tone and the setting that it was in. I mean, it was just fucking awesome. I agree. I, mean, I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> I did deliver it. Um, it's in, I knew it when I read it. I'm like, this line jumps out at you, you know? Yeah. Fuck it. The action is the juice. Yeah. I'm in. It's the <laughs> juice. It's in the, you know, the fucking not men are great, but yeah. the reaction is. Yeah. Because that is why, well, the, it's not the only reason that Chirito's, Chirito's not going to, Chirito's going to do this with Neil because Neil needs it. I don't need it. Yeah. He tells, and I know I don't need it. I mean, but I know that he needs me to do the job. I mean, yeah. He can't do it by himself. And he, you know, we're a three man crew or really a four man crew with D- Danny, Danny Trejo. Val, but we go in, Val, me and Bob. Right. So, you know, he goes, you know, I, I go, he goes, he goes, we got to make our mind right. He goes, we got to make up our mind right now. You got to just, just accept this. They got us, you know, the feed, the FBI, LAPD sheriffs, whoever it is, they got us. We got to decide right now. Do we stay and take down the bank? Chris, oh, I need it, brother. I'm blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, I go, my, I go, Michael, I go, I roll with you, Neil, whatever you want to, you go, no, no, no. On this one, Michael, you're on your own. And I go, is this the best thing to do? I mean, do you think this is the best thing to do? Yeah. And he's not for you. It's not. He goes, he goes, oh, you know, if I were you, I mean, you got a lot put away. You got three kids. If I were you, I'd cut loose of this. Yeah. And he stops. And I go, okay, what you think? And I go, well, fuck it. The action is the juice. I'm in. I think the line works for me on two, two ways. It's like, it's, I do think that, from talking to these kind of guys, we, we interviewed a bunch of guys who were in prison who did high-end bank robberies like these guys. There's only there's not very many of them. There's a very finite number of these guys in prison in, in America at the time. And um, I remember they talked to these two guys um, separately, but they were they were in different prisons, but they were just, they, they were the same crew. Each of them had like 10 million bucks put away. They were clean. They were done. They were out of it. And they went back to another job and they got busted. And one of them killed a cop. And I said, I was with, I was with Bob and Val wasn't at that. It wasn't at the morning session. We were, went to, we were in, we were in, um, Folsom, old, old Folsom, Folsom state prison. Yeah. And, um, Bob asked him, why did you do it? I mean, why would you do it? I mean, wasn't the idea to get a lot of money. He had a lot of money. He actually had, he's actually, this guy had opened up dry cleaners in Connecticut and Massachusetts and had like 17, had a chain, this bank robber. And so Bob said, wasn't that the, wasn't that the, the end game was to get money? And why would you go back and risk your life again? And, and he said, um, 
well, unless you go into, unless you notice, like, I can't remember the words exactly. He said, essentially said this, until you walk into a bank with no money and walk out with $15 million with a high-powered rifle and you're ready to get down. All these guys were ex-military, all of them were ex-rangers, um, a couple, um, couple of Delta Force guys, they're all ex-military. So these guys were prepared. These guys were trained. And so that's, that's part of the, the jazz. But this guy said there was nothing that got him after he did this several times, there was nothing else that reached, got him to this place he wanted to be. Yeah. He wanted to be there, you know, planning it, you know, planning it, organizing it, doing it, getting away with it. So he was basically said he's kind of addicted to it. Yeah. You know, there was no leaving it, you know, forever. And um, that was true of all the guys we talked to, you know, so that action is the juice. That's what it is. Yeah. The action, the action is, gets, is getting, getting the hard on. It's, it's not the money. It's the action. Yeah. Money is part of the action, but it's not all the action. And that's true too. I, I interviewed a guy, um, Robert Fanaro. Now he's, he was in the Irishman and he, he, uh, had a couple of seasons in the Sopranos and we had a conversation about gambling and it's been my experience that it's not necessarily the money you win from a bet. It's just the idea of the mm-hmm. reason it's got you watching that game on a Monday or like last night. I, you know, the Cardinals or the Packers aren't my favorite team, but I'm watching that game because I got some money riding on the Cardinals. So it's got my interest in that game. Otherwise I wouldn't really give a shit about who's playing. And it's not that money. It's just the rush of winning it. You know, it's I not agree. the, it's not the money. It's, like you said, it's the rush for sure. I don't really gamble, but <clears throat> I, I, I can see where that would be the, 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 the sex. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's that it's that point you're trying to get to. Now, and also losing is part of the hard on. I mean, yeah, like you could lose it all. Yes, and it's that risk. It's that that but feeling you, until I, it's over. You're on high alert, man. You're like boom. You're synced in, man, because it's all on this hand. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with that movie, you work with the creme de la creme of Hollywood. There, especially at the time, you're working with Val. You're working with Robert De Niro. You're working with Al Pacino. Did you have any, you, you didn't necessarily have any scenes with Al until he shot you. Did you have a lot of conversations with him in the, on the film or was he there a lot or how did that work? Cause I understand if I'm and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the scene where Neil and Al actually talk at the diner, they're not together. That's that was filmed separately. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they try to do it you know yeah <laughs> it's that movie you know, magic man in the fifth i was using drugs i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> what what did you did you and al have any it's like 18 years ago or some shit 20 years ago <laughs> I don't did, did you and Al have a lot of interaction on the set? We'll go back to the original question. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we did to a point, you know, I was with Bob, you know, right. you were either with, you were either kind of with Bob in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were with the, you were with the criminals and, and Al was with the cops, I guess you could say. <laughs> I was, I was a copper and Bob was a, a bad guy. Now, Al, what is it like? I mean, he just seems like he is a presence 
unlike anybody I've probably ever met. Um, just seeing his own film persona, and even in that one, you know, he's got those times when he's talking to that girl. He's like, "Here, she's got a great ass." And I mean, he's just the way he all the way up. Yeah, all I mean, just the way he delivers his lines is, is he like that outside of the character or outside of the film or is it, is it a little bit more laid back? How is he? He's much more laid back. Believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Although I've heard, I mean, I didn't see that aspect of his personality, but he likes to play cards. He likes to gamble. Yes. And I, I does that a bit more of that, you know, you know, bigness, that, 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 that extrovert, comes out comes out but um he's real he was he's a real serious guy he's um the thing about bob and al was really cool they're real serious actors but they're not like weirdos or anything they're just sitting there with you and they go hey we're ready to go and they go and they do it man you know it's just, yeah they're just really good at it yeah uh, <laughs> i mean good at it, man. scarface probably up there on my one of my all-time favorite movies for sure my top five for sure yeah, what it, what it is your top five? Fun, might be the most fun performance I ever watched. Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Wow, this is bomb! <laughs> this dude is right on." What is Tom Sizemore's top five right now? I'm gonna hit you with it. Movies or performances? Movies. <clears throat> Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. I used to I used to have a real quick five and done this in a while. Taxi driver, deer hunter. Um, what's the Aronsky? They're an Aronsky movie with um, Jennifer Connelly and uh, Jared Leto. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I don't know if it's in my top five. I like that movie a lot. Hang on, Taxi Driver, the Deer Hunter. Bonnie and Clyde? Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde? Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde. Um, uh, it says, I really love Terms of Endearment, man. I mean, it's, it's, I just love that movie, man. I just, I've seen it a lot. Um, well, the first time I saw the third man, I okay, the deer hunter, taxi driver, um, um, the third man with Orson Welles, yeah, uh, and um, Bonnie and Clyde, and um, Cuckoo's Nest. One flew over to Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those some good ones, man. Those some classics. Well, for sure. Papillon. I mean, there's there's some great movies, man. You know, there really are some oh, great movies. Yeah, it's hard to narrow narrow down. Oh, come on, I take it back. The Godfather. I'm I'm high. That's yeah. Hi, <laughs> man. That's I'm crazy. The Godfather is the greatest movie ever made. Yes. Yeah. First one. The second one might be the second greatest movie ever made. Yeah. So, one one and two is one and two. Um, and then one I. Two. Awfully fucking good, man. It's hard yeah. to beat those. Yeah. Goodfellas is up there for me. I'm a big, huge Goodfellas oh, fan. 
Scorsese movie. Oh, it's a test driver. Yeah, good fellow. Come on, you got to be a top ten. I know there he is. Yeah. Well, he was just in two of the movies I said. I mean, The Deer Hunter. You probably haven't seen it lately. Oh, I've I seen it. it. Yeah. It, bro. Yeah. It's an intense it's, scene. The 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 uh, Russian roulette scene there at the end. That's that's pretty intense. Hmm? I said the Russian roulette scene there towards it. That's an intense scene. Fuck yeah, man. The, the movie's a trip. The movie's the movie holds up too. Yeah, yeah, still. Still for sure. Um sure. so after Heat, I mean, obviously that's a that's a big, you know, success for you. Was it Saving Private Ryan, the next big one? Yeah. That was the next movie. Yeah, the next movie you have. Now, earlier you alluded to around that time. You know, you had had some some issues with some drugs. When did I would say your drug use start to become a little bit more than than normal than your recreational drug use? Um, right after Natural Born Killers. Right after Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I'd clean up for a movie. Um, not used during the movie and then go back to it after. Right. And, uh, that was, um, that was my pattern for, until 1997. I got cast in that Saving Private Ryan. And I, I got clean and I stayed clean until 2003, six years. Wow. And, uh, I, um, I fell back into it. I, I met a girl and uh, things just went fucked up. Things got really fucked up. Now, now speaking of girls, before we get in there, you are with probably one of the most famous women there is for a period of time there. You were with Heidi Fleiss for a period there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I got to ask. Use your imagination. It's all true. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask, how did that meeting happen? Were you brokering another meeting? How did that happen? How did you two meet? How did we meet? Yeah. How did you two meet? Um, <clears throat> uh, the first time I met her was um, I was in a car and I was going to this club called um, oh fuck I can't remember the name of that club I was going with this guy uh, John Enos who was uh, an actor good, Mickey Works best friend and he was friendly with her and he was meeting her at this club and we were going down um we were going down Highland and he said, Oh, there she is. She drove a Porsche. And he drove up to her and honked his horn and she rolled her window down. And I was in the passenger seat. She was right there. And that's when I met her the first time. And um, that night at the club, at this, uh, this is, what's the name of that club? Fuck. It's not one of the more famous ones. Um, but um, we really met at that club that night. And um, we, um, you know, that night. Wow. So that that kind of the night, the night I met her, the night we um we kind of got together. Yeah. So and and I'm sure it was she was still running her business at that time, right? No, nope, she just been released from prison. Oh, she had just got out from prison. Yeah. Okay. So the, and there was a lot of uh, I guess worry that she was going to release that black book when she was in trial. Yeah, but she never um, did. Did you? I, I don't know. To my knowledge, I, she never did. I don't know much about that. Um, I never saw it. Um, I don't even know if it really existed. 
but um, <clears throat> she was never going to do that. Yeah. I, I, she didn't seem like the type that was going to do that. She was going to take what they gave her. And I mean, that's, I respect the fuck out of her for that. She took what they gave her. She done her time. And then she come out. She was like that. Yeah. She kept her mouth shut. And, uh, cause there were some important, important fools in that book. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> a lot of people that probably were high up in echelon that did not want that information out for sure. I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, she had cornered the market and, uh, wealthy, successful men who were involved in that kind of behavior. Yeah. Well, Don Simpson was a big one. We actually just did an episode on him a few, a few episodes ago. And he was a, a big, I was tight with Don. Don was a fucking animal, man. (laughs) He was crazy. Don, Don was a force of nature, bro. He lived like his fucking movies from everything that I've read. He was a force of nature. I was good friends. I spent a lot of time with Don. Wow. Well, I mean, I can only imagine the fucking parties that he probably had. Yeah, he was, there was that aspect to it, but um, he was driven. He was, he was crazy, man. He was, he, he could do a lot of things. He was talented. He was smart. Um, And he burned it at both ends real hard. Yes. Yes, he did. And, Unfortunately, um, some people can do that and they can live to tell about it and live to give a, a testimony later on. And then some I, can't, and I he, couldn't. Yeah. And he was not one that was able to, to do that. And I hate it because he gave us, or at least, you know, had a hand and given us so many great films, especially action films for like guys who like movies, you know, guys, guys, um, yeah. you know, so many good ones. yeah, yeah. Him and Bruckheimer was the innovators of that shit for sure. Yeah. It's a big summer blockbuster. Um, you know, high concept movie. Um, yeah, they, they did that, um, with Tony Scott, you know, they, they invented that Don was, um, you know, if you'd have asked me back then, if I'd have been honest, I would told you that I, I would concerned that Don wouldn't make it, that he might not be able to tell the tale later because yeah. he was so, in it, you know, it's so intense and you would try to clean up, <clears throat> but it never stuck. Yeah. There was a <clears throat> book that I read in prep for doing that episode and it was called, uh, you'll never make love in this town again. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. read that book too. Yeah. And he, he had some pretty wild, uh, finishes, <laughs> I guess you could say <laughs> in there. So yeah, if you if you're interested in that, you can go back in our episode on Don Simpson and listen to that. So, um, really, yeah, yeah, I think it was I think it was the it was two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, we did one because he he was always fascinating to me. I always heard his stories, and obviously was a big fan of his movies. And you know, he did Days of Thunder, and Days of Thunder was actually filmed. I grew up in a town called Darlington, which is uh famous for their racetrack and that's about it because there's nothing else there in that town and days of thunder come through there when they were filming and that was where in the film tom cruise won his first race as the nascar driver um that he won his first race in darlington so that was like a huge deal for that little town you know they're filming a movie here tom cruise is here so and my family's got some ties into racing and nascar so that was always kind of one of my favorite movies growing up. And then I didn't realize till much later that he had a small cameo 
in the end of that movie, he wanted to have a bigger part from what I understood in some of my research. And even Tom was telling him like this, you're not going to be able to do it. Like this probably isn't for you. You just stick to behind the camera stuff. And, but he did get him a little cameo there at the very end of it. If you didn't know it was him, you probably wouldn't have know it, but. I know, I know. Yeah, um, Aldo Benedetti, I think, was his name in the in the, the cameo. What was it? Aldo Benedetti. Oh, <laughs> they talked to him because, like, after Cruz has his wreck and he comes back to race the last race at Daytona, they're talking to actual drivers. They're talking to like Harry Gant and some of the older guys that were actual drivers. I think uh, maybe Neil Bonnet might have been in there. I can't remember right off, but they go to this guy that I knew I didn't know because at that time I knew all the drivers. And I was like, I never heard of an Aldo Benedetti. And then I went and looked, you know, and I was like, oh, that's fucking Don Simpson. He's the damn director. Okay, that makes a little sense. But that was before you could just go on IMDb and, you know, find yeah. out anything and all that. And it wasn't all on the internet. You, you still had secrets to keep back then. You could do stuff on the slide. Nobody knew. <laughs> well, we definitely had to cut that one short, folks, because this interview lasts right at three hours. And I know it's Thanksgiving break and we don't want to have you guys sitting around ignoring your families. Uh, although some of you may have some in-laws that don't cook very well. So you may want an excuse to not sit down at the dinner table, <laughs> but at least sit around, enjoy the holidays, enjoy some football. And we will bring part two of this interview next week on crime and entertainment. I mean, part one was fantastic. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you part two is even better. We get into the meat of his movie career with films such as Black Hawk Down and Saving Private Ryan and Witness to the Mob and Pearl Harbor and some backstories in there that are really, really cool. And then, of course, you know, he talks about how he battled uh, some addictions and who came to help him, who were some friends that came to his aid. It's a really, really good second half of this interview. So look for that next week. Yeager, what'd you think about the first part of this interview? I think it's fitting that you need, we all need more time with Tom Sizemore. I was sitting on that joke for one minute. I was hoping I didn't forget it. Absolutely <laughs> true, though. Like, so the Tom Sizemore is that it should be a double size, double pack issue. I'm thinking about comic book phrases to call it an issue, but double size, double pack episode. So that's absolutely well done. Again, Nothing but guests that are illustrious. I'm a copy of Deuces and Mero. How, how's the show doing? How's Hollywood pulling it off? He's Tom Sizemore and Hollywood together. What a combo. <laughs> uh, that is a combo. And as we've stated a couple of times, folks, I don't want to undersell how much money this man has garnered at the box office for all of his films. Over two and a half billion dollars. That ain't no number to sneeze at, ladies and gentlemen. And he's on our show talking with us is just it's not even anything i thought was going to be possible when we put this thing together but by god here we are yes, sir. well i tell you what folks if you enjoyed that interview please do not miss part two next week with tom sizemore and hear the conclusion we hope everyone has a happy thanksgiving don't drink too much strolling on past that regular turkey to get to the wild turkey. I think they said more alcohol is consumed over this weekend than any weekend. So I believe that. What about yourself? <laughs> or for some of us, I think it's just called a weekend. But, yeah, I definitely can't buy into that. I'm about to partake a little bit myself and always drink responsibly. Folks, remember, you can find us on all the social media, 
subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, swing by crimeandentertainment.com to get your official apparel. And wait, I believe we've got some more stuff on the way for the people. As far as getting the merch on, it really does help us out. I absolutely. I think I showed you a picture of the new shirts we got. The logo's looking really good and really crisp. We're still tweaking a few things, but I think that's about to go up. We've got the Yeti cups with our logo on it. We're working on some shot glasses to go on there with our logo on it. If you're going to drink with us, folks, go ahead and get that. Send us a picture. We'll put it on the Facebook page. We'll put it on Instagram. We're going to show you some love here for helping supporting us and keeping the lights on. And as he said, we're on all the social medias. Go follow us on or like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram or on the YouTube as well. And one app that I like to remind people about is the stitcher app. Okay. A lot of people don't have Apple or they don't have iTunes or they don't have a Spotify account. That's fine. We're on the stitcher app. It's strictly for podcasts and it is free. You don't need a subscription for anything. So go on there and you can go back and listen from our first episode from boys on the tracks and get caught up current. And as he said, we appreciate each and every one of you taking time out to listen to our show. And until next week, I am Hollywood Wade. That was Jaeger Tedder. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Tune in next week for part two with Tom Sizemore.